Welcome back. I'm Aiden, the host of The Postball Factor, and I'm incredibly excited to welcome you all back to another exciting episode. This is the podcast where we debunk misconceptions about migration and let people share their real journeys. I've absolutely loved the outpour of support that I've gotten since the premiere. I'm hoping that you guys can continue to learn from me and more importantly, learn from my guests and their stories. I've been working hard trying to source people from around the world with different triggers for their decisions, just so we can really capture the breath of migration. Moving on to one of my favorite segments, migration education. In this part of the show, I'd just like to provide a quick burst of information related to the episode so you can leave feeling like you learned something. If you couldn't tell by the title or promotion, this episode will heavily discuss the sport of soccer, or as it's known internationally, football. While I've always intrinsically knew that soccer and migration were linked, I never quite realized the extent. For example, as an American-born soccer player, I think you quickly realize that the sport it doesn't have the, the level of appreciation like basketball or football players. There's not like the same level of cultural relevance or financial benefit, at least within the borders of the United States. Many American soccer players aspire to play in leagues abroad, such as England's Premier League or Italy's Serie A. Not only is soccer my favorite sport, and one that is near and dear to me and my family, but I think it's the perfect sport to explore through a migrational lens, because the game itself is so global, and it provides for one of the largest athletic stages on an international scale outside of the Olympics. With the World Cup in mind, I wanted to highlight a study conducted by the Washington Post ahead of the 2018 World Cup. In this study, they dove into the nationalities of players who were playing in that World Cup. Out of 736 players, 82 were not born in the country that they were representing. That's roughly 11% of players. Out of 32 teams in the tournament, 22 of them had at least one foreign-born player. So that means the majority of the teams were operating with at least one foreign-born player. And the team with the most foreign-born players was Morocco, who had 17 players who were foreign-born. That's 65% of their squad. Now, I bet you're wondering, how is this possible? Well, FIFA, the international governing body that presides over soccer, the only rule that they have in regards to this is that one must be a citizen of of the country that you're representing. So, naturally, every country has citizenship rules set up differently. You can be a citizen in some countries by just being born there, like the United States. Others you can claim through heritage, through naturalization. There are even countries that sell citizenship through citizenship by investment programs. There are also examples of players from countries with very competitive soccer programs, such as France and the Netherlands, choosing to play for countries where they may have dual citizenship or ethnic heritage just to get more of a chance to play at the World Cup. These smaller program countries also try to beef up their rosters by intentionally scouting for these kind of players. For example, there were 29 players at the 2018 World Cup that were born in France but didn't play on the French national team, so roughly 35% of foreign-born players. Netherlands was the next highest country with seven foreign-born players at the World Cup not playing on their team. Many players migrated as children, or in the case of Brazilian-born Mariel Fernandez, he started playing for the Russian club CSK Moscow, and after some interpersonal issues with the Brazilian national team, he was granted a presidential decree from Vladimir Putin himself, and was on his way to playing for a country where he didn't even know how to sing the national anthem. <laughs> Just looking at this one set of World Cup players shows how migration is so ubiquitous, and in many scenarios, soccer wasn't even the driver behind migration. For example, Granit Saka, who plays for Switzerland, 
He was actually born in Kosovo and fled the country after his father had been imprisoned for speaking out against the regime. While someone's journey may look so easy to understand on a surface level, in reality, it's much, much more complex. So no wonder FIFA has so many regulations, or, or as some people may think, so little. Our guest today was sourced through my older brother, who played soccer on both a collegiate and professional level. When I asked him if he knew of any teammates that would be willing to come on and speak about their migration journey, Dre was the first person that he brought up. And we had a very engaging discussion, sort of talking about you know, playing styles in Germany and the United States and the international experience that he had. So I'm very excited to share with you guys and let's get into it. Here with me today, I have Dre, who currently works as an engineer and previously played Division I soccer at Villanova University, where he had multiple stints on the Big East all-academic team and was named part of the Philly Soccer 6 All-Star team. Thank you so much for joining with me, t- joining me today, Dre. How are you doing? Hey, Aiden. I'm doing well. Um, thanks for having me on. I appreciate the time. Yeah. Thank you for coming on. I just appreciate you extending your time. So sort of let's start by telling us where in the world you consider your hometown slash where you grew up and then where you currently live. So I grew up in a small town in uh, Germany called Uvrat. It's uh, it's fairly close to a larger city, um, Cologne. It's probably the most populous city um, that is closest to me. And that's, that's what I consider my home, um, the city of Cologne. I spent several years living in the city of Cologne. Um, and I've been living in the United States for six years now. I came over in 2014 um, when I started uh, going to Villanova University and um, playing soccer for them as well. And then how long have you been in sort of Philadelphia? Well, um, back in 2014, when I when I came here for the first time, um, I went yeah I went to Villanova and then I sticked around the Philadelphia area for um, the two two and a half years it's been now since I graduated. So right. for, yeah, for six years I've been living in in and around Philadelphia now. All right, that's funny. Like actually, my guest last week was from Philadelphia, so it's there are two Philly people in a row. <laughs> kind of fun. <laughs> So, sort of being from the EU, where things are generally more relaxed with travel and sort of living restrictions for the citizens, what has your relationship with migration been? Was living in an, another country something that you've always seen yourself doing, or was it considered normal? Can you like sort of talk me through that? Um, I guess travel, traveling is definitely more common. I would say uh, traveling across different countries is definitely more common in Europe. Um, it's it's a lot easier to get across borders. Um, Cologne is only about two and a half, maybe two hours away from uh, the Netherlands or Belgium, Luxembourg. So um, it's quite easy to get to get to different countries. And um, I've, I've been at a young age, I started traveling um, partially through soccer, partially through um, just personal uh, travel, travel plans. Um, but overall, I never planned on um, migrating to, to any other country than Germany. Like it wasn't like it was like a big dream of mine. Even though um, that, even though the American dream was actually the topic of my English, of my like eighth grade English book, and we learned all about it, um, so it was always like we always learned about America, but it never, it was never my goal to come here necessarily. But uh, there was a couple of things that fell in place, um, and like an opportunity presented itself, and and that that opportunity was was just uh, something I, I didn't really want to say no to, and. and seemed exciting and so I just kind of made that made that big jump made that move um 
I had like a lot of people in my circle who kind of like pushed me to do that jump as well. So um, it wasn't necessarily like a clear cut decision. It was definitely a tough decision back then. Um, but yeah, I, I do not regret it. Definitely. That's, that's still great that you had that opportunity. So we're going to shift into more of the soccer themed questions now. So first I'm going to ask sort of how old were you when you started playing? Oh, I was very young. I was uh, three and a half years old when I started playing organized soccer. Um, oh, wow. So it's, it's, it's fairly common to, to play soccer, especially in Germany. It's a, it's a massive soccer culture. Um, I, I always, I always compare it to, um, to basketball and the American culture because every time I like shoot around with like, uh, my, some of my American friends, um, they're always capable of like hitting shots and like, they always have like a certain base level. And that's kind of what I compared to, um, with soccer in Germany, like, Everybody plays at a, or not everyone, but a lot of people play at some point in their life. Um, and everybody, everybody can kick a ball, I'd say. So yeah, I started with three and a half and uh, yeah, I haven't stopped. I still play. So it's definitely still my passion. Well, that's a good comparison. Yeah, I feel like in the US, soccer is maybe fourth, like the fourth best sport tied with hockey, but with like behind football, basketball and baseball, like it's not as big as it is like anywhere else in the world. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. I like I like to think it's uh, it's catching up. That's always what I'm told every time I speak to like kind of like people in the industry. Like they're always saying, "Yeah, it's catching up. It's uh, becoming like the third biggest sport." And I want to believe that, but then yeah, I mean, baseball, hockey. There's so many sports in the United States, and and so many good like cool sports yeah. too. I I got to I really got to enjoy now watching like playing pickup basketball, watching football, watching basketball. So. Um, I can I can see the I can see why people like the different sports as well. You know, there's definitely a distinct sports culture here in the states, especially and it's very regional too, which is quite interesting. Like what's some what's popular in some regions of the country is not popular in other ones. Yeah, that's true. Especially with hockey, I find that with hockey is very uh, very regional, especially up in the north. The further you get north, I feel like the the more enthusiastic people are about hockey. Yeah, and like lacrosse is very New England too. Very New England, yeah. yeah. I've met a couple of people from Boston who played across. Yeah. So I'm assuming that you were recruited sort of to play for Villanova. So can you like, sort of provide more insight into that process and how you ended up at Villanova? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, so as you mentioned, um, I was recruited um, to Villanova. I was playing for um, the Academy of Cologne back in Germany. Um, Cologne is like a first division team. So it's one of... I believe now it might be like around like 20, 23, um, like youth academies, like professional youth academies. Um, and usually like those academies feed into the first team. So American coaches know that, that they will find usually pretty high level players at those, at those clubs. But at the end of the day, um, they also know that only maybe like every two years, like someone will actually get to the first team. So the, the rate of players going through the first team or going to the first team, making it all the way to the first team is very little. So the American coaches know that um, there's an opportunity for them to to pick up players who don't make it professionally, who uh, who are may, maybe not like developed enough at that point in their career, or maybe who don't have the ambition or like to to play professionally. And so they they see an opportunity to provide a great like a great opportunity for the actual player. Um, to offer them the ability to play at a high level, but also to get a degree at the same time. I think the 
the college sports system in in America is uh, obviously second to none. It's it's obviously the the best system um, as far as combining the two the two disciplines go. Uh, Germany's got nothing similar. So for me, it was pretty clear that I wanted to continue to um, to get an education. Like I was, I finished high school, and then you kind of have that that choice to make where uh, you could you could go and try to play in like the fifth division, the fourth division, but it doesn't necessarily give you the opportunity to also study at the same time at a high level um, and obtain like a degree from a college. So America really provides a great opportunity for that um, to play at a high level, but also get a degree. So as soon as I kind of saw that was an opportunity for me, um, I strongly considered it from the start. And um, I started speaking to the Villanova coach at a tournament. So I basically signed up through an agency um i basically signed up for like this this tournament and um soccer soccer coaches across america and across america can then um either gain footage um but like uh, sorry gain, gain gain access to the footage of the tournament or like of the games that that we play um or they can come in person and watch watch us play there so basically every single player at that game or that tournament um, is looking to like get a scholarship um, or get in touch with coaches, and that's pretty much what I did. Um, I played in, I believe, one game, and then after the game, um, basically, I was able to speak to the coaches who kind of like liked the way I play, who were interested in me, or who just wanted to chat with me. And that's how I first got in touch with um, Blanova. And yeah, we kept in touch. Um, the coach kept talking to me. He kept calling me. Um, and he just gave me a very good feeling about um, what Blanova is about and what, what kind of opportunity it would give me in the future. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know that they had like these international sort of like scouting camps, I guess. I always wondered what the process was like, like internationally. That's how my brother go through it. But like domestically, like there are those pipelines already established. So it was just interesting to get that insight. Yeah, it's very different. And it's also it's it is becoming more popular, though, I will say. Um, over like the past couple of years, especially, um, I, I spoke to a lot of kids who were interested in coming to the United States where maybe my old coach would just like pass on my number and they would reach out to me just to like get a, get my opinion on like what my experience has been like over here. And um, yeah, so I can definitely tell that there's um, like there's an increase in players interested in, in, in this path or like in this journey, I guess. Um, but yeah, definitely in England, I know they have the same thing. They have like an, it's called, um, my friend was telling me, I think like an, like an exit tournament or something, but it's, it's becoming more common, um, overall to come over, I believe from Europe, come over here to the United States and, and use that opportunity that they have here. That's, well, that's really cool. So were you considering any other schools besides Villanova or were you pretty set on being a wildcat? Uh, I was definitely not set. Um, let me let me tell you that because you the the system is so complicated. Like now that I was in it, obviously, and I went through it once, um, I I know um, what different conference uh, conferences are. I know what different divisions are. I know what the NCAA tournament is. Like all that stuff, all that good mm-hmm. stuff. I had no no idea about, and <laughs> it's quite it's quite difficult to actually like learn it when you're not living it. Like it's it's not as easy as 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 you might think to explain it to someone who has no idea who's like used to a completely different setup of the leagues and the tournaments over in Germany. So um, I wasn't set at all. I didn't have any school in mind at first. Um, 
And after that that game I played, I had a I think I had a list of like fourteen, fifteen schools that I was uh, speaking to. Um, but pretty pretty quickly, um, there were a couple of schools that I that I favored. Um, and other than Villanova, I was speaking I was speaking with Clemson, I was speaking with Providence in Rhode Island, and I was speaking with uh, University of Santa Barbara in California. Oh. So well, all over the country. All over the country, yeah. But I think looking back, especially academically, um, I think I made I made a good choice, and I'm I was, I'm pretty happy with how things worked out. Yeah. Speaking of that, how in the world are you a D1 athlete and an engineering major? Um, <laughs> well, it's it's kind of funny. There's, there's actually a funny story um, connected to that because when I when I came over um, to 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 Villanova, initially I wanted to be an engineer because I already completed one year of college in Germany. Um, as an engineer as well, so mm-hmm. I did I did do that. So I had a couple of classes that I wanted to like transfer over and everything, but um, the coach actually, or the school wouldn't allow me to um, to enroll as an engineering major because they were actually kind of exactly they were afraid of what you what you just said like um, me not oh. being able to handle the um, the the language barrier, me not being able to keep up with the with the pace in class and all all that kind of stuff. Um, but for me, like for the beginning, it was kind of, it was like the wrong approach to think that way for them because like engineering is a lot of math, right? We all know it's mm-hmm. a lot of math and math is very similar in German as well. So um, I actually thought um, not being able to be being engine, be enrolled as like an engineer would be more difficult. And I, I thought it was because I had to write like a lot more papers. I had to read a lot more. Um, there was a lot of like reading and comprehending, which was, which is way more difficult for me than math mm-hmm. at the, uh, especially in the beginning when i came over um so after so at, at first i was a uh i was an environmental science major for one semester and so i kind of had to prove to them that i was able to to get good grades so i definitely i definitely did my work that semester and uh i was able to then like just transfer into the engineering school and go from there and from there on, it was like a little easier for me just because uh, I was just used to used to the math. Like I saw a lot of the stuff already, so um, it really wasn't as hard as as you would expect. That I'm glad that you showed them that you could do it because, I mean, that makes sense because math is the same in every language. Going off of that, I'm actually very curious. So my best friend in college, he was Dutch, so he sort of had very similar sentiments about sort of our more quantitative classes versus our more liberal arts classes. So did you find the American education system kind of easier or more difficult than in Germany? I wouldn't necessarily call it easier. Well, let me correct myself. I think it is (laughs) a little easier. Um, I also do think it's a little better um, in terms of, I believe that, the the kids who who go to college they actually um learn like a little more because the system is so different over in germany you will have basically the the semester will be split into two parts there's one like lecture term and then there's one exam term and during the lecture term um you have like usually um a lecture once a week per per course and then during the exam term, you write your exam, and you only write one exam. There's no um, during the semester. There's no um, nobody takes attendance or any anything of that sort. Nobody cares if you're there. It's pretty much all on you. It's all like self-teaching. You can obviously listen to the lectures, and that'll help a ton. But it's really about self-discipline and about like managing your time effectively. Whereas here, I feel like it's more the the professors um, they have a 
I guess they have a bigger interest in like you succeeding. That's that's the feeling I got. Um, it's more split up in like a couple of tests during the semester and then maybe like one test at the end that counts maybe for like 25, 30% of the grade. So during the final exam, you have like a lot less pressure, I think. Whereas in Germany, you write one exam at the end and that defines your entire grade. So there's a lot of pressure on that one exam when you write it. And uh, I can see the benefit of both systems. Um, I find the American one like a little bit easier because you don't have to know everything at the same mm. time for that final exam, but it's more so you learn it like a bit by bit, but at the same time, you also make sure you, you stay with the material. Um, you constantly, you constantly learning instead of just like hammering it, hammering it into your brain for like two or three weeks. No, wow. That, no, that definitely sounds very intimidating having your entire grade sort of weigh on a test, but I'm also yeah. even indoctrinated by the American education system. So, you know, I, I value participation being 15% of my grade. Yeah, I, so, I agree. And I, I do think it's a lot easier to, uh, to get a good GPA in the United States. I think it's a lot easier. Hmm. Sort of going from that, you land in the United States. So do you, so what's the first thing? Do you go right to preseason? Is there some kind of like international athlete orientation? Like what, what, what's the, what is your first few weeks like? So my first few weeks were probably a little bit uncommon just because my, uh, my visa arrived a little late. So, um, I didn't get here until like three or four days into preseason. And I remember the first, the first day, um, I landed, I landed here and I went right to practice. Oh my. And, uh, all the guys were doing, uh, sprints and, um, those sprints looked like the hardest thing that I've ever done or like that I've ever done in my life. I like, I've never done anything like it before. So it was quite intimidating um, at first, especially preseason. Um, and that continued throughout the entire preseason. I didn't, I didn't participate in that first practice, but everything after that, I, um, I participated in, it was quite, it was definitely the most challenging preseason physically that I've had until then. Yeah, I can't imagine just having to deal with jet lag and just get right off a plane to sort of get right into it. Yeah, and especially the the preseason here is only, I want to say, two and a half weeks, whereas in Germany or over in Europe, you usually have like a 46-week preseason. So it's usually, um, it starts like slower and then you wrap it up, you wrap it up until you kind of like get to your top fitness, like maybe like a week before the season starts. But here in college soccer because the season is so squeezed into like two and a half months um you really have to hit the ground running and you can't waste any days so that was uh that was a big change and and it took me definitely took me a year to adjust to the way the soccer is played and training is being being done and everything yeah speak more like to that do you think like how was the were the playing styles different in germany and the united states um so i think I think there's a couple a couple of things that cause it. I want to start with the things that cause the difference in play. Um, I think in college soccer you have unlimited subs, so mm -hmm. basically you can get subbed you can get subbed out and get subbed back in, and that's just not a thing in Germany. Like the rules are obviously like just like you have three subs, um, and you cannot go out and come back in. So I think that changes the game a lot. Um, so I think college soccer is a lot more back and forth um the ball is being turned over more because um you can also press more because you can sub more if that makes sense you can have like fresh legs on the on the pitch at all times um 
you don't really have to consider that if you press all game, you are going to be tired when the 60th minute comes or the 65th or the 90th minute. So I think that's a big part of it. Um, I think in Germany, and I can speak for Germany, obviously, I can't speak for all the other countries, but I know in Germany, I think um, that the, the level of, like the tactical knowledge of each individual player um, is a little higher than the United States. And I think it just comes from, uh, I think that it comes from the coaching. Uh, I think Germany has, a, has an excellent coaching school. And I think like looking at the Premier League and like the professional, the professional leagues, um, it kind of shows as well um, as you have like a lot of like German coaches being at the top right now. Um, so I think the, the difference in tactical knowledge and then the fact that you can basically have fresh legs on the field at all times, like, those two are like two big factors in the differences. Yeah, it's interesting to sort of know those drivers behind sort of why sort of the style of plays manifest differently. So it's nice to have that insight. So did you have any cha- sort of challenges getting acclimated to the squad when you initially joined, sort of feeling everybody out? Were there like, other international students on the team? Yes, definitely. Um, well, to your first question, uh, I definitely had some... It took me a couple of weeks to really... Um, First of all, get the language on the field down because obviously there's some like signal words you use like man on, like if somebody mm-hmm. has, has someone on his back um, or turn, that kind of stuff. It took me mm-hmm. it took me a couple of weeks to really um, get those down um, and just communicate with my teammates on the field as well. Um, obviously, it's my second language. Uh, so sometimes I wouldn't be able to really like communicate effectively on the field when you don't have much time but you got to get your message across. So it definitely took me a couple of weeks, if not, if not the first season, I would say to really, um, to really adapt. Uh, luckily we did have, um, we did have one international player on the squad at that, at that point. Um, you might know him, Oscar. Oscar oh yeah. Umar. Yeah. Um, still, Oscar. A, still a good friend of mine to this day. We still text. He's a pro now. He's a professional player at uh, St. Louis. He's a great player as well. Um, so he definitely, he was also, luckily, he was my midfield partner my first season. So him and I actually just being being international kind of like created a bond between us from the start. So it was super helpful having him next to me, kind of being like the vocal, like the, the voice in the midfield. So I could really just focus on playing my game. And I, I, like, I just let Oscar do like a lot of like the organizing, a lot of the talking and that kind of stuff. So it was super helpful having an international guy on the team. That's great that you found sort of a partner. And I'm glad that you guys got to play together too, just be partners in the midfield. So I'm curious, was there a, a different degree of sportsmanship that you experienced in both countries or was it relatively the same? Um, sportsmanship, I would say probably in, I would say the sportsmanship between teams, between uh, opponents is similar. But uh, what I found was that the, I don't know if sportsmanship is the, the right word for this, but it's almost like the camaraderie between teammates. I think that was something that was a lot different because uh, over in Germany was, I think I mentioned it before, like if, you, if you're lucky, you get like one guy per team that makes it to the pros, which is like usually the end goal for everybody on the squad, especially by the time you're like 18 or 19 and you're playing on an academy team. Like you're not playing there to like, just play soccer because like you train five times a week, you have a game, like you're basically living for soccer at this point. Um, So coming over here, my teammates, like I could feel that they all wanted me to succeed. Whereas over in Germany, it was way more 
it was just way more competitive in terms of like if I'm on the field and someone else cannot be on the field and they'll let you know about it in practice. Like they'll come in hard in practice and show you um, that they want to be on the field as well. And here I felt more, I felt more so that there was more of a hierarchy on the team. Um, I think me coming from Germany and kind of being uh, like being looked at as like someone who can, who can make a difference in the game. Um, people really wanted me to succeed. And I could really tell that my teammates um, had my back in, in all situations. And um, there was, there was never any sort of like jealousy, whereas I felt in Germany there was more so jealousy or more so the competition. Um, so I think that was a big difference. Okay, that definitely makes a lot of sense. It's less of a zero-sum game. But I'm glad that you got to sort of develop that sort of camaraderie and sort of build your teammates. I'm sure you still talk to most, if not a lot of them today. Yeah, definitely. Um, pretty much, I would say 80% of my, my friends in the States are somehow related to soccer and were teammates at some point. Um, not necessarily all at Villanova, since I've played on like an I've played on an amateur team for like two and a half years now. I've played like some pickup leagues here and there in Philly. Um, so a lot of my friends have been teammates in various leagues um, at some point. And I think I think it just bonds you like um, being out there on the field together, especially when when you have like a connection on the field. It makes it a lot easier to also form a yeah. connection off the field. Um, so that happened a lot with like during my time here. For sure. And it's, I think it's just great that soccer can just do that and sort of connect and unite people and sort of make you sort of feel at home in a country that you weren't born in. So shifting sort of back to your experience at Villanova, what was the international student community like? So when I was there, well, when, yeah, when I went there, the international student community was growing. Um, I think, I believe in my grade, uh, there was about 28 to 30 um, basically in my grade. So overall, there was maybe about like 150 to like 170 international students. Um, we had like an international student orientation at the beginning, kind of um, getting to know each other, um, just like exchanging numbers, um, that kind of stuff. And mostly, I would say the most visible for me, or like the most, I could feel the student, the international student community the most during holidays, I would say, um, during Easter, during Thanksgiving. Um, that was really when we all got together because we were all off. Um, we didn't really have a place to go, even though through my teammates, I, I eventually had a place to go for every holiday. But especially in the first like, year or two, um, we all got together for the holidays. Like we would uh, we'd just get together, have food, um, like have conversations and then uh, go back to our dorms and be the only the only people on campus so um th it was nice having that community but also with that said um there's been there's been a lot of international students after that came after me that did a great job creating um more of a community like they actually created an organization um they are they are fundraising um they are basically creating new initiatives to welcome new international students and they're doing a great job and I, I'm, I'm speaking to them um, I'm speaking to them a couple times a couple times a month usually um, just to see like how I can help what I can do um, to still be involved and um, they, they do some great stuff like um, bringing alumni back to speak about their experiences um, finding a job or like working in the United States so I think um, 
I think it's it's gotten a lot better, um, especially um, in the past like two and a half years after after I left. Um, yeah. Well, that's that's really cool that they're building more of a community there. Because I think that's sort of very important for the international student experience. Because like, conversely, my school had a lot of international students. I think it was roughly thirty percent of like the population. So a lot of people sort of had their clicks. But it was clear that you saw like there were so many events attended like just for international students. They had like international student dinner. So it was clear that having that level of support, sort of on a systemic level, is sort of very important to the experience. Yeah, and. In my this is my opinion, but I think it's it's the school's duty to have them basically to make it institutional and not just um, leave it up to the international students. Like in my opinion, the schools are the ones that really profit. Obviously, like we as international students, like we do profit from the education and like the system here, but at the same time, like the schools are profiting massively off the international students coming here. Um, mostly paying a lot of money to get the education mm-hmm. as well, um, usually paying like a little more than American students as well. So I do think it's up to the school to provide a good support system. And I think there's a lot of schools that do that. I think there's also a couple of schools that do not do that. Yeah, no, I agree, cause especially because a lot of times international students don't qualify for like a scholarship that you can apply for. They don't qualify for, for financial aid. So the burden of the whole expense, which is expensive in the United States, like sixty, seventy thousand dollars $70,000 a year for four years on average, so, so while as a student, or even now, have you engaged with the German diaspora in the United States? I'm not sure if there is a big population of Germans in Philadelphia, but have you been able to find a little slice of home somewhere in the States? Uh, I have, yeah. I remember um, during my first year, I went to, to a place, it's, it's in Germantown, um, which is like a little town like just outside of Philadelphia. And there was a, there was a guy who also immigrated from, over from Germany. And he had like a little like local restaurant that I've been to a couple of times. And then there's um, there's obviously always like that like Oktoberfest um, like mm-hmm. coming up probably soon. Uh, so that was that was always like a little spice at home. Um, but then also I've been able to yeah I've been able to connect with a couple of Germans in the Philadelphia area. Um, one of which I met through one of those like random soccer leagues that I that I mentioned before. Um, and him and I actually, he's like, you know, one of my best friends, I would say. So, um, yeah, it's always, it's always refreshing to, to meet someone from Germany, to speak German, to, uh, just like feel your own culture. Like you laugh about the same stuff a lot of times, like you have a lot of like similar experiences. Um, so I definitely always enjoy meeting, meeting other, other people from Germany in the United States. Yeah. Here's hoping that you can, you know, meet some more. So sort of with your experience in the United States, was there anything that really shocked you when you first got here, like maybe in your first year or so? Mostly I would say um, the food, uh, especially breakfast. I'm, I'm so used to, in Germany, we eat like a lot of, uh, a lot of bread with a lot of, uh, I would say like, like, it's like a more of like a light breakfast. You know what I mean? It's not, it's not really heavy. Like you don't really feel like you had a massive meal afterwards. And then coming here and just, um, basically seeing like sausage, like pork roll, eggs a lot of times, <laughs> especially in the dining hall in the Vanova, it was, it was pretty common to see it. Um, and I would say the portions as well, like definitely, um, you get a lot more for you, for your money when it comes to, to the food. Mm, it's an interesting perspective. I didn't really think about that, but that kind of makes sense. But do you think there's any aspects of life in Germany that would really shock you think the average American? 
it was like a massage out of the, the food. Yeah, I believe, uh, I believe just living in Germany and then kind of seeing the, the prices. I think the cost of living is a lot lower in Germany. Um, so if you just went there for uh, maybe a month or two, and you lived there for like a month or two, and you would say you would see how kind of cheap food is overall um, compared to to America. I think that would that would shock a lot of people. You can uh, you can live a lot cheaper, or basically eat a lot cheaper in Germany than, than you can here. You know, I, that's something I realize when I travel abroad a lot. I'm think America's a bit of a scam, <laughs> and also just advertising prices without the tax. That's also kind of rude. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. But then at the same time, I always got to we always got to consider that also um, like working here also exposes us to like the higher um, salaries compared to like in Germany. So, for example, I started I started working two and a half years ago and uh, I like for like without saying too much, um, like the, the salary is just so much higher than anything I would get in Germany with like an entry level job. So it's it's like just shifted like you kind of make a little bit more here but you also have to just pay a little bit more to live here which i guess makes sense at the end of the day yeah there's definitely some caveats i, I can see how that works out so speaking of your job i think this is a good segue sort of into my next question sort of focusing on your job search so you know, we talked about it a bit before but i actually worked at my college's international student office i know all about you know f1s i20s opt cpt i know it's a very complex world so can you walk us through how you approach your job hunt yeah so i i kind of started um just by looking looking at jobs that i've like looking at companies that i found interesting um mostly larger companies just because you have a higher chance of actually um getting an interview and getting sponsored um, so I started looking at larger companies for jobs, and I, I applied through their, their processes, their websites, um, LinkedIn, a um, couple, couple other websites. But I, I didn't really have any success that route. So I was, I was super lucky that um, just I, I was able to make good connections with um, the, my, my teammates' parents a lot of times. When uh, after the games, um, they would, they would obviously like just talk to me. Tailgate, there was a lot of tailgates, mm -hmm. exactly. So it gave me the chance to actually get to know them personally. Um, and so I was able to to then reach out to them when I, when I was looking for jobs and kind of just say, like, hey, like, this is what I'm looking for. I'm wondering if you maybe could, um, like, reach out to a couple people for me or maybe you could recommend me or, like, you could, you could point me in the right direction. And uh, that is actually how I ended up with my current job. Um, where like one of my friends, one of my teammates' fathers, um, he reached out to one of his friends who was working at an engineering firm in Philadelphia. And he uh, basically helped me get an interview. I was able to kind of present myself, um, show what I'm about. And like, lucky enough, um, he, he had some trust in me and offered me the job. And um, I think I think that's always a, like a pretty cool thing, especially um, knowing that it is so difficult getting a job as a non-citizen um then have to have someone put that trust in you and actually like hire you is, is a definitely like a pretty rewarding feeling yeah and i'm sure the but it being much harder it felt like much more rewarding and i'm glad that it's cool how your soccer network sort of got you that job and really did more for you than honestly it sounds like villanova's career office did did they sort of provide no support or was it minimal support like how was it working with them um if at all 
my yeah my soccer network 100 percent um carried me i would say the 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 career the career center of Lenovo, um obviously like they they try to do the best they can um with they help with um writing resumes writing cover letters that kind of stuff but they're they're not knowledgeable at all when it comes to um finding a job as an international student uh there's a couple of other schools that i saw um they 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 offer like almost like a like a peer-to-peer um tutoring almost like how to get a job so like someone basically it would be like me me going back to Villanova and then offering my help to current international students on like how I found a job and kind of like help them walk through that process and I, I really think every every school should have uh, a designated section within the career center for international students especially if the school um has a large like a large portion of international students Makes sense. So a sort of time has passed. You've, you've had your six years in the United States. How does your experience overall compare to sort of what you expected it to be? So I definitely came here with the intention to, um, to become a professional soccer player. So as far as that goes, um, it might have not lived up to my expectation. Um, but I think everything else I can say definitely exceeded my expectation. Um, I made like... I guess, yeah, I definitely made some of my best friends here. Um, I know that I'll always be, I'll always be welcome um, in the United States. Um, I've always felt welcome by a lot of people, and more like by the people I've met along the way. Um, so, like, I didn't really have a vision for what it would look like when I came here, to be honest, um, because I've never, I've never been to America before. Like, my everything I knew was out of movies, pretty much, or like out of social media. Um, so coming here, some of that was confirmed. Um, a lot of that was not confirmed, and it's actually <laughs> totally different. So um, yeah, I didn't I didn't come here with like a certain like vision in mind what it would look like. Um, but I'm pretty sure I could have not envisioned what like what I've been through. Mm-hmm. So going off of that last answer, what was like the funniest movie misconception that you had about the United States? The funniest movie misconception. I think it's the. I mean, it's the high school and the college um, movies. I think, oh, especially yeah. go going to Villanova. It's not that big of a school. Um, some people might call it Villanova fun, even <laughs> though it was a lot of fun. Though I'm not gonna lie. Um, but I think not going to like a massive like public school um, that didn't really live up to like those like crazy college movies, um, mm. which I wasn't like bummed about it or anything i just like found it was, like i just thought it was uh it was funny but then my friends tell me all the time that when uh like at like clemson or like alabama like it actually is like in the movies so i oh, guess I, I guess i like have to believe them one, one thing one of my, some of my international friends were talked about where like the red cups were actually used at parties apparently that was they thought it was just in the movies i thought right. that was funny do you do you want to hear something actually funny about red cups yeah, my my friends back home they use red cups as well. They order them from Amazon, <laughs> and uh, but so when 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 you have a drink out of a red cup, you like you don't throw it away. Like you put it in the sink, and then they wash them. They put them in the dishwasher, and then oh they God. just re- and then they just reuse them for the next party. So I guess for speaking to any migrants who might be in similar shoes to you, maybe any other international students from Germany, any athletes, soccer players. What advice would you give them about how to make the best of their experience? Um, I would say just be 
be open and kind of, um, first of all, like I would say, just, just do it. Like if you're thinking about doing it and kind of like you have like a weird feeling, like, you know, it's a good opportunity, but also it's like far from home and all that kind of stuff. Um, I would say just, just go for it because you can always go home after a year. If you don't like it, nobody forced you to be here. Um, like, especially coming over as an athlete, like if you decide you don't want to be here, like you just go back home. Like there's no, there's no drawback to that. Like you don't commit for four years. Like you don't sign any paperwork for like three or four years. You don't commit to that. So um, first of all, I would say just do it. And then, um, yeah, I think just, I would say get to know as many people as possible because I definitely would say that the, the best thing that happened to me is just like the people I've met along the way and like the relationships I've formed because those have opened me so many doors in the past. Like I can't even count how many times like someone has helped me um, just because like I was friends with them. Like we had like a previous relationship. Um, we like worked together on a project. Uh, there's, there's countless times. So I would say just really um, make sure, make sure you're open. Like you're, you're willing to like create relationships. You want to get to know people. Um, yeah, that's it. That's great. Sort of going off of that a little more, did you ever sort of get to a point where you felt like you wanted to go home and didn't want to sort of go through it or maybe just transfer from Villanova? Um, no, at, at my time at school, I was never, I never thought that I wanted to go back home. Um, I've definitely considered um, after I started working just because the the college world is like so different from the, the working world in the United States, I think mm-hmm. it's like night and day. Like in college, well, you have so much. You have you have so much free time. I think um, this this like obviously you have the schoolwork, but I think it's doable. And then I think when you when you go out and work for a company, um, you have like a lot less less free time. You only have like I only have like fourteen vacation days, um, so your time is just more limited, and. Uh, so that's why I've, I've considered going back home and I'm, I'm still considering it um, because my family's back home and there's definitely a big part of me that, uh, that wants, to, wants to be closer to my family. That definitely makes sense. Well, I know you've lived in Germany and the U.S., but is there another country that you consider living in or would you be open to career opportunities all over the world or are you sort of set on going back to Germany? I am pretty set on going back to Germany for um, the foreseeable future. Um, I'm I'm from Cologne, and Cologne has a like people from Cologne have a have have, to have like pride about them. Where or well, not even pride, but it's more so they really enjoy um, being in Cologne. It's a pretty specific in, like, atmosphere and environment. So I want to I want to go back there, but I yeah I would never I would never say never. I guess um, I'm definitely open to to career career opportunities and. Um, living in, in other countries as well, uh, I think I think there's a ton of a ton of countries out there that um, it would be really fun to live in, and uh, yeah, I definitely wouldn't turn down any any good opportunity. It'll be cool to see sort of where your career takes you if it's back to Cologne or anywhere in the world. But so we're coming up on time in the interview. But do you have any questions for me? Uh, yeah, definitely. I do have one one question that's been on my mind. Um, and that is what a yeah what kind of um, inspired you to like start start a podcast about the, like the topic of immigration? Um, was there like a moment or like a situation, like anything of that sort? 
so I don't think it was a specific moment, but rather I had kind of always wanted a podcast. I came into 2020, like I want to launch a podcast, but I didn't know what to do it on. But I'd always been the kind of person who's interested in people's journeys, meeting people from other countries. I think that stemmed from sort of my college experience and me studying abroad. And I took a class called Migration and Refugees my senior year. So that opened my eyes to like the fact that migration studies was like an academic field and pe- this was, people did their life's work around this and I didn't even know it existed. I just felt it was an open, like a big black box. And then I was just literally sitting one day like, oh, this could be a cool podcast idea. And I just sort of Googled some things, sort of see if there was anything similar. I sort of jotted down episode ideas, sort of see if like anything, like if I had feasible ideas. So literally like the second bullet was like Aaron's old, one of Aaron's old teammates. And, it's, and here you are now. So it's just kind of, Sort of, I saw a lane. It was something I'm generally interested in. Like, this is the, these are the kind of things I want to know about people anyway, but it's kind of weird to go up to somebody in a bar, like, so why are you here? It's just, like, this is a better medium to do that. So I think that was kind of my inspiration. I do think there are a lot of myths in the United States about immigration or migration in general and just lots of misconceptions. So I just wanted to pr- provide a platform to sort of educate, but also learn myself and just sort of give people a voice and sort of talk about their journeys in ways I feel like just people don't get to. I, I love it. One thing that's always been uh, like been like a constant topic, or like that, I've, I guess not been surrounded by, but it's been a topic definitely in my life. Um, is kind of like I don't want to call it a myth, but um, there's there's definitely like this sort of notion um, that immigrants um, take American jobs, and I so I'm obviously like an immigrant, and um, I've I've always wondered. Like what a like. I've I've never understood why that is the notion because I've never felt like, I've never felt like um, really like the people who are, who are coming over here specifically for college, are competing um, for like, necessarily like the type of jobs that other people necessarily want to do. Like, for example, like Obama like in like introduced um, like basically like called this thing called the stem extension i'm not sure if you've heard if you've heard about it oh, yeah, just, um go ahead it's like the eight the 18 month right the... exactly you get like yeah. an extra like 24 months um after mm. uh your first year you get like an extra 24 months to be here and kind of like be treated as like an american mm. worker in that sense um before you have to get sponsored and so like there clearly must be a need for like um like professional like professional like workers so i've never really understood like that debate necessarily yeah, because I don't think people understand, like, the laws and the proof that you have to go to sort of to, to sponsor employees. And, like, I work at a tech company, and a lot of our engineers are international. It's just if the like, the work wasn't here and if people weren't doing it in the United States, then I don't know what people sort of want. I think it's a, it's a common dog whistle that's thrown around that, you know, immigrants are taking jobs and people from other countries are taking jobs. But I think there's plenty of jobs that I feel like Americans think they're quote-unquote above for or people think they're qualified for that don't have the credentials for. So you know, it's a funny society that we live in. Yeah. Do you have any kind of projects or publications or social media handles that you want to share or shout out? Uh, I am working on like my own my own little project um, at the moment. Like it's it's still like in like very early mm-hmm. stages, but basically, um, I've been working for the per- past three months. I've been working on um, on a platform that uh, potentially could help international students just throughout their journey um, coming to the United States, going to college, and um, basically trying to obtain all these like work authorizations that you named, like the I-20, um, the CPT, the OPT, um, the STEM extension, and finally the like H-1B. Um, like I said, it's like still in like the very early stages, um, but it's 
similar to what you mentioned, um, I've learned a lot about uh, just like different stories from different international students, and it's been super interesting. And I'm going to continue to work on it. Like eventually, it's supposed to yeah help international students navigate their journey and eventually like get a job in the United States. That's the main goal of it. Um, I hope fine. I hope that like I get to I get to finish it maybe within like a year or two. It's it's a long project, but uh, look out for that. You know, that's definitely something that I'm sure takes a lot of bandwidth. But I'm very excited that you're working on that because I think it's, there's definitely a need for it. I know a lot of business majors at BAPS and international students who are itching for jobs that will definitely use a platform like that. So it's big work. And when the time comes, I'll be sure to announce it and blast it everywhere that I can because there's something that we, we honestly need. Thank you. So, yeah, so I just wanted to extend again a big thank you to Dre for coming on and sharing. It was a joy. I learned a lot. And I'm incredibly impressed by your story and what you made for yourself. It was sort of landing in a country you've never been to before. And now you're, you've been an engineer for three years. It's very impressive. Thank you, Aiden. And uh, yeah, thanks to you. Thanks to, uh, for having the, the podcast. And uh, thanks for giving, giving me, giving us a voice. I think, I think it's awesome. Um, and yeah, thanks for having me on. All right. Thank you. That was great. It was so dope hearing from Dre and getting that insight on soccer across the world and a little bit of insight into the intersectionality of being a D1 athlete and an international student. So I have some really cool things planned and some amazing guest lineups, so please don't miss a thing. Next week, we'll be speaking with the woman who started it all, my old migration and refugees professor. Thank you all so much for tuning in. If you like what you heard on the Pushball Factor, make sure to subscribe wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at PushPullFactor and check out our brand new website, PushPullFactor.com. Have a good one.